2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Look at those next three words. Read them out loud with me if you would. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Lord, please help us as we establish some things for your church. And Father, I pray that today, as we settle some things about your word for our church, that you'll be glorified as we exalt your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're a guest with us, what we are doing is we're getting ready to launch a new church constitution and bylaws. The reason for that is things like the Equality Act that they're trying to pass. We've just addressed the LGBTQ issues. We understand that God created man, male, and female, created he them, and that a marriage relationship is between a man and a woman for life. We've established that our church doctrine will be Baptist doctrine, and our sole authority will be the Word of God. This morning, we are looking at what Bible are we going to use. Now, how many of you know that that's a controversial issue in modern Christianity? And one of the reasons that it's controversial is lack of education. And those that are educated many times have been taught the wrong things, and there are things that have been left out of their education. Another reason for the controversy is people that use the King James Bible as we do, there are some that have been abusive in their churches, and their behavior does not bring glory to God. I even know some of them that have been racist, and they've brought out things that are just not godly at all. But that doesn't mean that we stop using the Bible. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Bible are we going to use and why are we going to use it? How is our church different from other churches? Now, much of it is going to be Scripture. Some of it will be history. Some of it will be technical. And I've tried, uh, I, I told Laura, one of the hardest things to do is to take this subject and pare it down to only two hours. I'm going to try and do it in about 30 minutes, okay? And we're going to look at some things tonight. I'm going to give some examples of how these things are abused. But uh, this morning, we're just going to look at why we are using the Bible that we use. And the, the main reason is that we want to be faithful before the throne of God. Remember, everything is before is naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, we just read this verse a minute ago. Notice what it says, preach the word. Now, there's an assumption there. There's an assumption. When it says preach the word, what do you think that assumption is? That we have the word. You can't preach something that you don't have. We're not allowed to just make it up. Laura and I were in a service recently, and the preacher, he was a very nice man. His introduction was very good. And then he preached a text and absolutely made up the rest of the sermon. He made the words say things they don't say. And just, it just... I was actually embarrassed to be in the room, if, if I'm being honest. We're not allowed to do that. We preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. What is that? Just be ready to preach. Just be ready to preach. Then notice what it says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. One of the things that I'm sure that uh, Brother Rick is helping these young church planters to understand is the role of the pastor is not self-affirmation. The role of the pastor is not a self-help group. The role of the pastor is to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. And one of the reasons that doctrine has been diminished in modern churches is because, it, let's say they use the, the New International Version of the Bible, the word doctrine only appears either four or five times in the entire Bible, when it's used 54 times in your Bible. So, how many of you know that words mean things? And these words are important 
And that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at. Why, do we, why are we doing this? Now, I do want to establish something before we move on. Not everyone agrees with us on this. Not every saved person agrees with us on this. There are churches that are leading people to Christ and building people in the faith that disagree with us on this subject. These people are not our enemies. We don't believe they're satanic. And that's where sometimes some of the people who use the King James Bible, and I'm just telling you the things that they say about other Christians, it's not right. It's evil. It's wrong. And we're not going to do that. Now, we will point out areas where these other Bibles cause trouble that probably these pastors don't know. But when we establish what we are going to use as the King James Bible, we're not saying that if a church uses a different translation of the Bible that they're evil or they hate God or they're following Satan or whatever. That's absolutely ridiculous. Can I get a good amen on that? But there are sound reasons why we're doing this. One of the things that I hope people will see by the end of this message is this is not an arbitrary decision. This is an informed and faithful decision. And these are things that we are establishing for our church. So let's dive in. The Bible is our sole authority. Last week we looked at our Baptist distinctives, and one of our distinctives is the Bible is our sole authority. Remember, the other churches have dueling authorities. You have the the Word of God and tradition, and if there's ever a conflict between the Word of God and their tradition, their tradition overrules the Word of God. There's charismatic Christianity, and their dueling authorities are the Word of God and experience. And if they have an experience that contradicts the Word of God, that always overrules the Word of God. But modern evangelical churches also have dueling authorities, and their dueling authorities are the Word of God and scholarship. And if their scholarship ever contradicts the Bible, their scholarship will always overrule the Word of God. They can never stand up and say that the Bible that they hold in their hands is their final authority. Their personal understanding of the Bible is their authority. Their view of the text, how they choose to translate it, So who is ultimately their authority? They are. Either themselves or their lexicon. That's their authority. The Bible is our sole authority. Look what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, how many of you believe that you hold God's Word in your hands? So if you have two books that are drastically different, but they both claim to be the Word of God, can they both be the Word of God? And when you confront people with these issues, what you get really is, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to have this conversation. It gets very uncomfortable because at some point they're going to have to make a decision. And we're going to look at some of those things this morning. The Bible is our soul Authority. By the word Bible, we mean the words of the Bible. The words of the Bible. The words, is that, a, is that, that second word in the verse, is that singular or plural? See, there are a lot of people that believe in the word, but they don't believe they have the words. That's a problem. That's a problem because words do mean things. And we'll see some of those words are very significant that have been changed. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. We have a pure Bible. We believe we have those words in English in the King James Bible. Now, sometimes King James people are accused of believing that's the only Bible in existence. That's not what we say. What we say is this is where we believe we have God's words in the English language. All right? Um, The words of the Lord are pure words. That's what we believe. Then, this is not a new belief. Sometimes, and this is one of the accusations, is that really the King James controversy started in the 1970s or the 1980s when the modern translations began becoming more popular. Well, I think that the fight became more um, uh, well-known, but this position that we believe that we have God's words in our hands, it's an old position. So I'm going to give you an example of that. So you're going to want to read along with me on the screen. In 1678, a group of Baptists published a confession of faith called the Orthodox Creed. Now you'll see in the statement that we Baptists, we're not creedalists. 
Our authority is not in any creed or confession. Our authority is right here, right? We will have a statement of faith, but in the statement of faith, we say that that statement of faith is not authoritative. The Word of God is authoritative. That just helps people understand some of the things that we believe. So they wrote this Orthodox Creed, and here's what they wrote. This is a direct quote from their creed. The authority of the Holy Scripture dependeth not, remember 1678, dependeth not upon the authority of any man, but only upon the authority of God who hath delivered and revealed his mind therein unto us, and containeth all things necessary for salvation. Now, this is such a great statement. So that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proven thereby, is not to be required of any man. So the Bible says that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible says that the gospel is that Christ is how that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Salvation, everything we need for salvation is found in the scriptures. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have all of it within the pages of the Bible. We have all of it, and we will not require something that is not in the Bible. Let's continue their statement, Orthodox Creed. Neither ought we, since we have the Scriptures delivered to us now, to depend upon, hearken to, or regard the pretended immediate inspirations, dreams, or prophetical predictions by or from any person whatsoever, lest we be deluded by them. How many of you thought the charismatic movement started in 1905? It didn't. didn't start with the Azusa Street Revival. There have been problems with visions and dreams. Uh, there were a group of people that people have accused to be Baptists in Munster in Germany that, that was all based on this kind of stuff and has brought reproach on the name of Christ. These folks in 1678 knew that the Bible's their authority, not charismatic experience. It's fantastic. Nor yet do we believe that the works of creation, nor the law written in the heart vis-a-vis natural religion, as some call it, or the light within man as such, listen, is sufficient to inform man of Christ the mediator, or of the way to salvation, or eternal life by him. But the holy scriptures are necessary to instruct all men in the way of salvation and eternal life. How about that? 1678, a little group of Baptists in England got together and wrote this. Let's continue. This is continuing in their statement. And we do believe that all people ought to have them in their mother tongue. It's interesting. The heartbeat of Baptists have been, or has been, you can't be a Baptist without a Bible. Everywhere they went, they translate the Bible into the language of the people. One of the reasons we can trust the Bible that we hold in our hands is because whether or not a particular Greek text has these words, you can find it in the various translations of the Bible that have been coming out for 2,000 years. It's wonderful that God has preserved his word through the churches, the Bible tells us, through the churches, which is why we have men like Brother Rick. You can't be a Baptist without a church. Baptists care about church planting, and Baptists care about the Bible, and Grace Baptist Church will care about church planting and the Bible. Amen? That's who we are. It's the mission. All right? And we do believe that all people ought to have them, speaking of the Scriptures, in their mother tongue, and diligently and constantly to read them in their particular places and families for their edification and the direction of God's Word, both in faith and practice. I love it that, that you, can, you, you can identify a church by what they believe and what they do. Faith and practice. What they believe and what they do. This is 1678. Isn't it fun that our ideas are not new? One of the things that our missionaries deal with when I was in Egypt, um, they asked me to speak on church history and on the history of our church doctrine because these pastors in Egypt have all been taught that the doctrine that we teach is new. That's what they believe. That, that we're a new faith. Well, we're not a new faith. We're not a new faith. We are continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And that's what they were dealing with here in 1678. Continuing. The Holy Scriptures, being of no private interpretation, 
ought to be interpreted according to the analogy of faith and is the best interpreter of itself. You compare Scripture with Scripture. We didn't make that up, folks. Mark Trotter didn't make that up. But ought to be interpreted according to the analogy of faith and is the best interpreter of itself and is the sole judge in controversy. And no decrees of popes or councils or writings of any person whatsoever are of equal authority with the sacred scriptures. So this is what separates us, one of the many things from someone like the Book of Mormon, or I'm sorry, the the, the Mormon people. They have their own version of the Holy Scriptures and the King James Bible. But which one do you think is more authoritative to them? Their own writings, and we would never, even though we, I'm thankful for, you know, going to my library and what are there, four or five thousand books, I'm thankful for the books that we have, and I use them all the time. Not, Not one of them is authoritative here. Oh, why Baptist? No, not one of them is authoritative here. It's just the Word of God. Now, this is so fun. This is what they say. This is 1678. And by the Holy Scriptures, we understand the canonical books of the Old and New Testament. Now, the canon, that just means, it's a word that means measuring rod. And it's the 66 books of the Bible that have been deemed by the churches to be the Word of God with the imprimatur of God himself. And by the Holy Scriptures, we understand the canonical books of the Old and New Testament as they are now translated into our English mother tongue, look at this, of which there hath never been any doubt of their verity and authority in the Protestant churches of Christ to this day. What are they saying? They had a King James Bible and they believed every word of it. This is not new, people. This is not new. We believe that we have the Word of God in our hands. Now, Don't unplug. If you're from another church or you come from another background that teaches something different than this or this is new for you, just listen. And by the time you get to the end of it, you'll have a good understanding of who we are and why we believe this way. So we believe that the Bible is made up of pure words. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. And so we understand that thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. You can count on them. They're pure words, no errors, only perfection. How many of you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Now, there are a lot of people, you'll read their statement of faith, churches, religious organizations, and they say that they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And they believe that the Bible was inspired in the original autographs, and that's the end of their statement. But do you know what that statement is really saying? We believe in nothing because none of the original autographs exist. They don't exist. Do you know that none of the original autographs have ever been compiled in one book on earth? Ever. But here's the good news. We have a supernatural God that was delivering his word and then preserving his word so that in the 21st century, we still have it. Praise God, we have the Bible. I love it. I feel like Josiah. When he saw it, look, I found it. It's there. It's in the book. You can count on them. They're pure words. No errors, only perfection. But they're also preserved words. The next verse in Psalm 12 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It doesn't say that any particular church will preserve them. It doesn't say any particular group, any type of scribe or scholar is going to preserve them. God is going to preserve them. For example, you know that the first copy of the book of Jeremiah, only a few people ever saw it. Why? Because the king threw it into the fire. But here's the good news. God remembered what he wrote. And he had them write it again, plus some more things. But here's the problem. That book that Jeremiah wrote where God expanded it, that was bound up with with cord, it was a scroll, and thrown into the Euphrates River. Nobody's ever seen it. How about the first tables of the law where God wrote on the tablets with his own finger? What did Moses do? He got mad and broke them. You know, nobody's ever seen the first copy of the law. That was the original autograph. No one's ever seen it. Autograph just means personally written with your hand. Nobody's ever seen it. Do we believe that we have God's word? Yeah. Why? Because he wrote it. He remembered what he wrote and he has preserved it. That's the doctrine of preservation. Now, let me just tell you something. Every 
Orthodox Christian believes that. You must believe in the preservation of Scripture to be an Orthodox Christian. Now, the problem is when translation starts. Because now you have something called textual criticism where men look at Greek manuscripts, Hebrew manuscripts, Aramaic manuscripts, and now they're going to try to discern which one of these are right and which one of these are wrong. This is now where the controversy happens. Remember, every Christian believes that God inspired his word and preserved it. The problem is many modern Christians... Even evangelical, godly people. I'm not talking about satanic perverters of the word. I'm saying even godly people, they don't believe that God is still preserving his word. They think that's the job of the textual critic. I don't trust the textual critic to do that. Why? Because God said he would do it. That he would do it. God has supernaturally preserved his words so that you may hold them in your hands. And when you read them, you can rest in them, trust them, and obey them. So now, how are we different from other Bible-preaching churches? For example, John MacArthur or someone of that ilk. How are we different than them? And it's a solid question. How are, and I have basically two categories under this. How are we different from churches that use modern translations? And how are we different from churches that use the King James Bible? Now understand, even among churches that use modern translations, they reject some of them. So like John MacArthur would think that, that you're, you're ignorant if you use the NIV. So even they, even people who have a different position than us, reject some of the Bible translations. How many of you understand what I'm saying there? But why is it, how is it that we differ with them? And then how are we different from other churches that use the King James Bible? That's the heartbeat of what we're going to cover. So how are we different from churches that use modern translations? Well, we understand that doctrine is based on the words of God, not on the ideas, not on the principles, but on the very words. Uh, We believe, uh, some people say that the King James is too hard to read and understand. So look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 30. Remember I said 30 minutes? I don't think I'm going to make it. All right, Acts chapter 8. Remember, God sends by the Holy Spirit Philip to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him. And heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare the, his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, And said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. One of the issues that we have, either from people that are moving away from the King James or even some others, is that that it's too hard to understand. And let's just be honest, it is harder to understand than much of what people read today. You have to learn some things to be able to comfortably read the King James Bible. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, obviously. But how many of you have been able to do that? Right? And I know some of you, you're not the brightest people I know. That means, I mean, if Jacob can do it, anybody can. And so, yeah, yeah, there's some work. But how many of you know that the Bible also says studying the Word of God is labor? It's not written for a five-year-old. It's not written for a six-year-old. It has to be taught. How can they hear without a preacher? The, the Bible must be taught, and God even calls men like myself, like, like Pastor Rick here. He calls us and gifts us to teach the Bible, and he gives teachers to the church. Why? Because the Bible must be taught. But God also gave you the Holy Spirit of God. 
so that you need that no man teach you. He gives you that. But a lost person especially must have someone teach them the Word of God. Why? Because the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness unto him. They can't discern them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. So we that are spiritual, it's our job to teach people. So many people believe that it's too hard to read and understand, and that's not the case. Then, no doctrine is more important to lost men than those that teach the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and, and I actually have a wrong word there. No, no verses are more important to lost men than those that teach the doctrine of salvation. Would you all agree with that? I mean, what's more important than getting saved for a believer? I mean, sorry, for a lost person. Nothing. So let's get some examples of that. Modern translations undermine the doctrine of salvation. I'm going to give you some examples. So in Micah 5.2, the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, you know, we see this every Christmas, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. All right? How many of you know everlasting is a long time? Right? Look at what the modern translations do. This is the ESV, RSV, NASB. That's the update. That's what the U is. Look at, look at what it says. Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Um, now, what's harder to understand, thousands or clans? That's just an example that many times their words are harder to understand than the King James words. That's something that's not pointed out very often. Let's go on. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. Does Jesus have an origin from ancient times? Do you see how that's a... How many of you understand that's a different Jesus? How many of you have heard no doctrine has changed in modern translations? How many of you have heard that? that that's people that are not telling you the truth or honestly have never studied this. Now, here's what someone would say. Oh, well, that's taught in other places. This is the passage that's used at Christmas. Most people only know about God at Christmas and Easter. Interesting. Let's go on. i got to go fast. Listen faster, people. Luke 9.55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You see how I've got that in red? Look at the way the NIV says it, the ESV, the RSV, and the New Living Testament. It says, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. How many of you know that verse? He didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. How many of you think that's an important verse? It's gone. It's just not there, that part of it. How about this? Matthew 18, 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How many of you are glad he came to save? That's not in the modern translations. It's completely removed. It's taken out. Before we read this, I was with a group of young preachers one time, and I went through some of these verses, and these young men were in ministry. They had graduated from seminary, Bible college and seminary, and I started asking them some questions, and they had never seen these. They're in the ministry. They've never seen these. Can I say it again? They're in the ministry teaching people. They don't know this. And so they looked at one of their other young friends who had his master's. And this is going to be switched one way or the other. I can't remember which is which. But he had his master's from Dallas Theological Seminary and his doctorate from the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville or the other way around. Okay, so those were the two schools he went to. And they looked to him and he's going to be their rescuer. And he said, well, isn't that one of the disputed passages? Look at Acts chapter 8. You still have that open in your Bible? Look at Acts chapter 8. This is the one that I showed them. So the eunuch has just been hearing the gospel from Philip. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The young man that I was speaking with had a New Living Translation that he was teaching from, and I had him read verse 37. Verse 37 is not in his Bible. It goes straight to verse 38. It's not there. Not there. Let's see if verse 37 is important. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So imagine if that's gone. Here's what happens. What doth hinder me baptized at the end of verse 36? Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and he baptized him. How many of you know that faith in Jesus Christ must come before, before baptism? Remember, no important doctrine. No doctrine is removed. The best statement on it in the Bible is removed. This is what they do. And so when I showed that to these young men, the, the, the scholar said, well, isn't that a disputed passage? And I said, disputed by whom? And he said, well, Bible scholars. I said, what's the definition of a scholar? He said, well, I'm not sure. Well, let me tell you, one that has mastered his subject. Who has mastered the scriptures? Is it possible to master a supernatural book? No. And so, you know, of course, the, the answer is, and we went into it. He goes, well, Greek scholars. And I said, like who? And he said, well, you know, we're trained. And I said, well, I, I translated the book of 1 John and the book of Philippians and the book of Luke. I, I've translated those. I, I've had those courses, too. What are you talking about? So would you use me as your authority? Can I take your Bible and translate it and you're going to trust me? Why should I trust him when I actually have the Bible in my hands. Another example, Matthew 18.10. But you know what, This all I'm showing you is it goes from 18.10 to 18.12. The verse before, for the Son of Man has come seeking to save, is completely removed. John 6.47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. How many of you think that those two words are important? Here's the ESV, the NASB. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Believes in what? Remember, no doctrines are changed. Mark 10, 24, and his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth, answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Here's the NIV, ESV, NASB. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? The whole meaning of the verse is removed. It's not hard to believe if you just have faith. It was, what was hard was Jesus dying on the cross. The hard part's done. You just say, Thank you, Lord. I'm a sinner. I believe that you're God. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I believe that. I believe it. You don't have to work. But one thing that you'll notice is that modern translations, they do emphasize a work salvation. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. NIV. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How many of you think that's saying the same thing? But remember, they're both claiming to be the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Look at this, For I received, this is the NIV, For, I, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How many of you know that the way He died is vital to the Gospel? Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Here's the NIV, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can you have without the shedding of blood? There's no remission of sins. Got to have the blood of Jesus Christ. How about John 3.16? Anybody know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the NIV, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the Bible says that he came into his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Jesus isn't the one and only son. He's the only begotten son. If you remove that, it changes the words of the Bible. It changes doctrine. Now, honestly, how many of you would agree that this is changing doctrine? 
So what would be, um, how could someone say it's not? Either they don't know this, right? Or they don't really understand the doctrinal implication of those words. That's possible. Or they're not telling the truth. Is there another option? Well, there really is. They have a Greek text that says something different. So here comes the question. Did God preserve his words or not? When often you'll hear people who use modern translations quote these words and verses that I have just shown you, not realizing they're not in their Bible. That's what's going on. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. All right, let's look at how the modern Bibles do that. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Is salvation a process or an exchange? You give him your sin, he gives you his righteousness. It takes place at a point in time. It's not a process. Remember, work, salvation. It's a process. Most of the modern Bibles, this is what they do. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What do you think they change it to? Become. Become. Man, I am Christ's righteousness. He has given me his righteousness. I'm not waiting for that. And I'm certainly not becoming that. Acts 15.19, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. That's repentance, right? They're turned to God. Here's the NIV. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Process. Process, not a point in time. Second Corinthians 2.15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. You got two. Saved or lost. Alive or dead? That's what you got. Second Corinthians 2.15, look at what it says. Are being saved in the NIV. They are being saved. I'm so glad I'm saved. So th- that's how we're different. They have a different view of the text. They don't believe in the preservation of the text. They, they trust the, the, the textual critics rather than the Bible. All right? That's how we're different. How are we different from churches that use the King James Bible, from other churches that use the King James Bible. We believe the words of the King James Bible. You see, in many Bible colleges, even conservative, independent Baptist Bible colleges, what they're taught to do is look past the words of the English to the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, primarily the, the, the Greek. And so uh, young men don't understand the excellence of the English. They read right past it. They don't understand it at all. And they go straight to their Greek text. That's how I was taught. They believe the words of the textus receptus. That's Latin for received text. They believe that the textus receptus is their authority. How many of you have heard that before? That's their authority, the textus receptus. So when I was in college, I got a Greek text printed by the Trinitarian Bible Society. And we would take that and translate it. And that's how we were taught to study the Bible. All right? But here's the problem. How can godly, intelligent, educated preachers be wrong? So like on the critical text issue, how can John MacArthur be wrong? How can, you know, good guys that, that are independent Baptists who would hold that TR position, Texas Receptus position, how can they be wrong? Now, you all know my opinion of John MacArthur. I think he's a godly man. How many of you know that? Right? He's just wrong on this. How can he be wrong? He's obviously smarter than me. He's obviously been more successful than me. How... How can I stand here and say that someone like he is, like him is wrong? How can I say that these other godly independent Baptist preachers are wrong? Well, number one, they believed their teachers. And their teachers were wrong. And many people, they go to school, they listen to their teacher, their teacher is presented as their authority. But what if that authority was wrong? And that's the case in this subject. I'm going to show you some of that here in a minute. And then, number two, they've invested their lives in original languages. Um, I, I 
met with some uh, professors, Greek professors at a major independent Baptist college, and you could tell they were offended because basically what I'm telling them is they've wasted their life. See, here's the good news. How many of you know it's already been translated? Right? Now, if you're doing it to translate into foreign languages, praise God. I hope that you'll learn those languages. If, if you're in English, why do I need to know that? And I'm not against somebody studying it. I do know it. I took, this, I, I, I took the courses, but I don't need it. I don't need it. Why? It's already been done. Um, and I'm going to demonstrate to you the misuse of the Greek tonight. I'm going to show you how... Uh, I'm going to give an example of something that was said to Justin Yeo and I'm going in, in his Bible class, and I'm going to teach you why that was wrong from the Greek. So come back tonight, and you'll be really bored. <laughs> Some actually enjoy the original languages. For most have never considered the significance of the English. I don't have time to get into that. It, it, I like to say, if you want to freak out a Greek scholar, tell him God can read English. Then the ignorance of the history of English translation. And again, I don't have time to get into that, but here, this is vital. None of our Bible colleges have history of the Bible classes. They don't know. The stuff that you hear, learn here, they, the, the professors have never heard. And it's not because of me, it's because God's brought some good people into my life, but they don't know it. Ignorance of the method of English translation this is from Dr. Vance. In 1611, the authorized version was not translated from the Textus Receptus. Now, if you went to an independent Baptist college, that's going to freak you out because that's what you're taught. There's two lines. Now, I've taught it because it's what I was taught, but I was wrong. I believed my teachers. I was wrong. There's two lines of manuscripts. There's the, the Byzantine text, the majority text, the Byzantine majority text, or the critical text, the Alexandrian text. And our Bible came from the Byzantine text. Modern Bibles come from the Alexandrian text. How many of you have been taught that? Okay, but that's not what happened. The 1611 authorized version was not translated from the Textus Receptus, and neither was it translated from the majority text or the Byzantine text form. It was, in fact, not directly translated from any Greek text type, Greek manuscript, or edition of the Greek New Testament. Is that wild? It's cool. Now, I promise you, I think I've got five minutes left. This is technical stuff, and it's difficult, but I'm trying to keep from having to do this again. This is, I'm about to get to the best part, okay? Two rules given to the translators by the king. There are 15 rules. Two of them are these. Rule number one, the ordinary Bible read in the church, commonly called the Bishop's Bible, to be followed and as little altered as the truth of the original will, per will permit. So what happened was Barker, the royal printer, gave them 40 disbound, there were uh, printed Bibles that were not bound so that they can page by page correct it, improve it. And that's what they did. That's what they did. They took that 1602 bishops. Lawrence Vance, imagine this, he took a 1611 King James and a 1602 bishops and compared it letter for letter three times. And in the New Testament, your King James Bible is 91% 1602 bishops. So your Bible didn't come from the Byzantine text. Your Bible came from the bishops' Bible compared with other translations and different Greek texts. Now, I need, to, I need to define something for you. A manuscript is one copy of the Bible. An autograph is the original copy that the writer wrote down. A manuscript is a copy of the original autograph. A text is where someone has taken as many Greek manuscripts as they can find. They compare them and they collate them into one reading. That's a text. Autograph, the original writing. Manuscript, a copy of it. A text, many manuscripts collated into one text. Okay? That's what a text is. So, the ordinary Bible, read in the church, commonly called the Bishop's Bible, to be followed and as little altered as the truth of the original will permit. That would be the Greek text, or Hebrew, Aramaic. Here's the other rule we want to consider. Rule 14. These translations to be used when they agree better with the text than the Bishop's Bible. Tyndale's, 
Matthews, Coverdale's, White Churches, Geneva. So the other English translations were used in preparing your King James Bible. Now look at what the translators said in their introduction. This is in your translators to the reader. Neither did we think much to consult the translators or commentators, the Chaldee, the Hebrew, Syrian, that'd be the Syriac today, Greek or Latin, nor, look at this, no, nor the Spanish, French, Italian, or Dutch. So your Bible didn't come from just a te- Greek text. It came from the different English translations, the Greek texts that they had available, and also the Chaldee, Hebrew, Syrian, Greek, Latin, Spanish, French, Italian, or Dutch. So sometimes people will say, you're a King James guy. Do you think that the Bible on the mission field ought to be translated from the King James? No, that'd be dumb. It ought to be translated the way the King James was translated. And then I like to ask this, and of course you know how that was done, right? Uh, No. Why? Because Bible colleges don't teach history of translation. Why have we never had a text that's as excellent as the King James? Because nobody does it the way the King James was done. And there's reasons for that, and maybe I'll get into that tonight. The King James Bible was both a translation and a revision based on a wide variety of sources. So Frederick Scrivener was the greatest textual uh, scholar of his day. He worked on the revised version, and you'll see that he was he's really instrumental in the Greek text that's used today. And here's what Scrivener observed. He, his job, he was assigned by Cambridge University to compare the revised version text to our Bible's text and see how it was different. And here's what Scrivener said. It does not appear that the translators adopted any particular text as their standard, but exercised their own judgment on the several readings as they passed successively under review. So here's the problem. Bible college students are taught in independent Baptist schools, Brother Rick was taught this, I was taught this, that... That Greek text that we are given that's printed by the Trinitarian Bible Society, that that's the text that our Bible came from. Is that right? That's what we're taught. That's the text that our Bible came from. The only problem is that's not true. And I don't think we're being lied to. They've not been taught the history of that particular text, and you are going to be taught that right now. The whole concept of the King James translators following a particular Greek text is based on erroneous notions of how their work was carried out. Scrivener kept the record for the revision committee. That's the revised version of 1881. Scrivener kept the record for the revision committee of the readings it adopted that deviated, quote, from the text presumed to underlie the authorized version, unquote. These were communicated to the Oxford and Cambridge University presses. That's from Lawrence Vance. Using the same record of readings, Scrivener edited for Cambridge, here's the title of his book, the New Testament in Greek, according to the text followed by the authorized version, together with the variations adopted in the authorized version, 1881. So this is the authorized version. That's what it's talking about. All right? Now, so Scrivener, what year is, is given in this book? What year is it? Okay. Math question. Caleb? I like your haircut. Look good, bud. Math question. What came first, 1604 or 1881? The Trinitarian Bible Society Greek text is this one. It was produced in 1881. Here's what Scrivener did. He kept a record of the changes. The the text that he deemed to be the closest to the King James, was a guy named Stephanus. It's Stephen's or Latin Stephanus. Stephanus' text from 1560. Where it differed in some places, Scrivener changed the 1560 text to match the King James text without, without indicating the change. But for most of the text, he had the text, the main text of Stephanus 1560 for his Greek text, in bold print... He highlighted the places where it differs from the King James, where the 1560 differs from the authorized version. In the margin, he identified all of the areas where that 1560 text differed from the revised version. That's what he produced. Here's what the Trinitarian Bible Society did. They removed the bold, removed the marginal readings, 
and handed that out. They printed as the Texas Receptus. So the, the, the text that many TR people are using to say their Bible is wrong is 277 years newer than the Bible they're criticizing. This is where we differ. We can do math. How can godly, intelligent, educated preachers who use the TR be wrong? They're ignorant of the history of their text. When you have a guy that uses the TR, I like to ask them this, which one? So although the various editions of the Textus Receptus are related, not only do the editions of, of Erasmus, Stephanus, Beza, and Elzever differ among themselves, they also differ from each other and from Colonnaeus and the Complutensian Polyglot. Those are all Textus Receptus. So why, which one is right and why? I'd love for you to ask someone that and see what kind of an answer you get. They do not know that their Greek text is 277 years newer than the King James Bible. We believe that God has preserved his word in the English language in the King James Bible. Faithful men of God who use different translations of the Bible are not our enemy. Amen? We just think they're wrong on the text. And can I make a statement that's going to blow your mind? They think we are wrong. Okay. How do we differ from godly men who have taught the TR position? Listen, that's what I taught. That's how I was trained. And I found out I was wrong. So what, am I going to be faithful to my teachers or faithful to the truth? We have to be faithful to the truth. And so at Grace Baptist Church, in our church constitution... We do say that we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, and we believe that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice, as preserved in the 66 books of the Holy Scriptures, translated into English in the King James Bible. That's who we are. Why? Because we want to be faithful before the throne. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. But, Lord, more than that, thank you for your own faithfulness in giving us the Bible. Father, I'm so thankful that you have uh, preserved it for us.